A few weeks ago, I was traveling back from Boise, Idaho, and I went to check in to my Delta flight. And when I did, I was offered the opportunity to use miles to upgrade. I don't normally fly with Delta. I had a few miles. I had no plans for them. So I thought, what the heck? I've never done this before. Let's try this out. And I tell you, I was like a kid opening a Christmas present, all right? The thought of getting on the plane first, getting guaranteed overhead storage, getting the big comfy chair and the free drinks. In fact, my excitement must have been so much that it was visible to other people because the woman sitting just behind me leaned forward and she said to me, it's so fun seeing you like this. She said, if you keep going, one day you'll be just like me. And she handed me a card the size of a business card, upon which she told me to read what was on there. It said, Delta Sky Club lifetime member. She followed up by telling me how many million miles she had flown and all the different places she had been. But to be honest, I wasn't listening because I was in shock. Someone I'd only just met the first thing they wanted me to know about them was their status with Delta Airlines. I I had all sorts of questions running through my head, things that I couldn't possibly say to her. Things like, does this really mean that much to you? Is this what your life is really all about? To gosh, this woman really needs Jesus. But then I realized how hypocritical I was being, how I too served human masters, just like she served the masters of the Sky Club. You know, when when I meet new people, I do exactly the same thing that she was doing to me. I try to find some way to impress them. I try to find some way to show them how great I am. I tell them where I work or where I live or about my family or my connections or my history. And these things are all true, but I realize that if those are the things in which I place my identity, if those are the things in which I'm, I'm serving my life so I can be about, I'm really no different from the way I was perceiving this woman. And so I began to ask myself as I'm sitting there listening to her talk about her life, who am I really serving? Am I really serving God or am I serving someone or something else? My name's Ellis. I'm one of the pastors here at Chapel Hill, and I'm really glad that you are joining us today, whether you're here in the room, in person, or whether you're joining us online. We are in the last sermon in our series in the book of Joshua, and we are right at the very, very end of the book. We're looking at the last chapter today, and over the course of this book, we have seen how God's people entered the promised land. They trusted in the Lord to fight their battles on their behalf, and they took the inheritance that the Lord was giving to them. And today we are going to hear the second of two closing sermons that Joshua gave at the very end of his life. And the question that he poses in this message and the one I want us to consider today is who will you serve? And Joshua begins this sermon by reciting the history of the people of God all the way up to this point. And I'm going to read the whole thing to you because I want you to notice who he places the emphasis upon in taking the action in this narrative. Is it the people of Israel who get the emphasis in taking the action or is it the Lord upon whom the emphasis falls? So we're in Joshua 24. I'm going to start in verse 2. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, 
Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers and chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand. You took possession of their land and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Baal, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was in college, I took a short-term missions trip to Kenya to work with uh, those who've been affected by the HIV-AIDS epidemic. And at the very, very end of the trip, we had a debrief time at a lodge overlooking Lake Nakuru. And Pastor Derek, who was leading this trip, he drew us together on a balcony overlooking the pool at this lodge, which behind it was the lake, this incredible vista in front of us. And he began to share with us day by day all that the Lord had done during our time in Kenya. He talked about specific prayers that the Lord had answered, specific ways in which it It seemed like the Lord had spoken during our time there, used us to minister to others and and specific difficulties he had rescued us from. And then he said to us, and not only has God been at work in your life these last two weeks, he's been at work in your life before that. And he called us to look back over the start of our lives and to recall the times when the Lord had delivered us and healed us and been at work. In effect, what he was doing in this time was mirroring the words of Joshua in this passage. And I wonder for you, if you look back upon your life, if you look back upon all that the Lord has done in your life, if you can call to mind times when he delivered you, when he healed you, when he spoke to you, when he answered you, when he called you, and many, many other ways when you sensed the Lord at work in your life. And then Pastor Derek, during this time, he went on to remind us of all that God has done for us in and through Jesus. How Jesus 
came to earth to demonstrate that the love of God for us and the, and the breaking in of the kingdom reign and rule of God on this earth. How Jesus took our sin upon himself on the cross, bearing the consequences that we deserved and dying the death that we deserved to die. And then how Jesus rose again to new life. And he offers that same life to us and in turn to the whole of the earth when he will come again to renew all things. And then, after Pastor Derek had done all this, he opened up the Bible and he read the very next words of Joshua in verse 14 and 15. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And as Pastor Derek continued and as he he spoke about this, this verse, he said, I have chosen to serve the Lord. Me and my family, we have chosen to serve the Lord. And this day, as you were at the end of this trip, as you were about to step back into your regular life, you have a choice. You've served the Lord for these two weeks. You've given everything you have for him. But when you go back to the rest of your life, you have to choose. Who will you serve? God or the things of this world? And that moment, honestly, was one of the most memorable moments in my life. Everything for me felt like it came to a head at that point and that I had that choice laid before me. Who was I going to serve with the rest of my life? Was I going to serve myself? Was I going to make a name for myself in in sports or or in climbing the corporate ladder? Was I going to serve money? Was I going to get a six-figure salary as as soon as I could? Was I I going to serve my studies and and, and absolutely rock it in this degree that I was about to partake in? Or was I going to serve the Lord and make my whole life about pleasing Him? In other words, who was I going to choose to place at the very center of my life? You see, we all serve someone or something, We all place something at the center of our lives. Why? Because we have a God-shaped hole in the center of our lives. And if we don't fill it with God, we fill it with something else. It's inescapable. We might end up filling it with, with serving ourselves or serving another person or serving some ideal, but we all have to fill that hole with something. That's why when Joshua said to the people, he said, choose whom you will serve. He knows we will serve. It's not a case of if we will serve. It is a case of who we will serve. And if we aren't serving Jesus, I believe that there are some terrible consequences that come as a result because nothing else can withstand the pressure of being the center of our lives. You know, there are many different good things that we might try and serve or or fill this God-shaped hole with. And I I love the way that that pastor and author Tim Keller puts it in his book, The Reason for God. He kind of lists them out and explains what it might look like if you were to place that thing at the center of your life, what the consequences might be. And I can't articulate it better than him, so I'm just going to quote from him. This is what he says. 
He says, if you center your life and identity on your spouse or partner, you will be emotionally dependent, jealous and controlling. The other person's problems will be overwhelming to you. If you center your life and identity on your family and children, you'll try to live your life through your children until they resent you or have no self of their own. At worst, you may abuse them when they displease you. If you center your life and identity on your work and career, you'll be a driven workaholic and a boring, shallow person. At worst, you'll lose family and friends, and if your career goes poorly, develop deep depression. If you center your life and identity on money and possessions, you'll be eaten up by worry or jealousy about money. You'll be willing to do unethical things to maintain your lifestyle, which will eventually blow up your life. If you center your life or identity on pleasure, gratification, and comfort, you'll find yourself getting addicted to something. You'll be chained to the escape strategies by which you avoid the hardness of life. If you center your life and identity on relationships and approval, you'll be constantly overly hurt by criticism and thus always losing friends. You'll fear confronting others and therefore you'll be a useless friend. If you center your life and identity on a noble cause, you'll divide the world into good and bad and demonize your opponents. Ironically, you'll be controlled by your enemies. Without them, you have no purpose. And lastly, if you center your life and identity on religion and morality, you will If you're living up to your moral standards, be proud, self-righteous, and cruel. If you don't live up to your standards, your guilt will be utterly devastating. We all center our life on something. We all serve something. And if we serve something other than Jesus, we will never be satisfied. So the question, the choice before us, the decision that we have to make is not whether we will serve, It is who will you serve? Will you serve the things of this world? Or will you serve the Lord? That's the question Joshua posed to the people of Israel. That's the question Pastor Derek posed to me when I was in Kenya. And that's the question I believe the Lord is asking us through his word today. Who will you serve? And the answer Joshua was hoping for, the answer that Pastor Derek was hoping for, the answer I'm hoping for, is that you'll pick Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the best master you could ever have. Jesus will satisfy you more than any other master. When you put Jesus at the center of your life, and when you look to him for your approval, for your approval, he will give it to you unconditionally. When you look to him for comfort, he will draw near to you. When you look to him for provision, he will give you all that you need. When you look to him for companionship, he will be with you always. When you look to him for a noble cause, he will give you something worth dying for. Jesus will satisfy you beyond any other master. And more than that, when you fail him and you will fail, Jesus will forgive you. No other master will do that. Your career won't die for your sins. Your spouse and your children, they'll run out of grace for you. The followers of your noble cause, they'll cast you out of your group. Your money will disappear. Your possessions will break. Your addictions leave you empty. But not Jesus. Jesus continues to love you and welcome you, no matter how many times you fail. Because Jesus has already paid the price for your failure. And there is nothing more that needs to be paid. Jesus is the only master who is worth serving.
Because if you get him, he'll satisfy you. If you fail him, he'll forgive you. So the question before all of us today is who will we serve? And I know it might be easy for some of us, particularly those who've known Jesus a long time, to say, well, I serve Jesus and him alone. But the reality is that we allow other things to creep into our lives. On a daily basis, we choose to put something other than Jesus at the center. And Joshua knew the Israelites would do the same. In fact, the Israelites responded to Joshua's question and they said, we will serve the Lord. And so Joshua gave them one final command in verse 23. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. You see, Joshua knew that the people of Israel, even though they said they wanted to serve the Lord, they were hiding foreign gods among them. And so he called them to serve the Lord by putting those foreign gods away. And I wonder, as we close our series on Joshua together, if we need to ask, are there any foreign gods that we are hiding that we need to put away. What do I mean by foreign gods? What did Joshua mean? A foreign god was an idol, and an idol is whenever we make a good thing a god thing. Whenever we take one of good's god gifts and we make it the ultimate thing in our life. It's whenever we put one of those things or something else that I just listed from this book, whenever we put that at the center of our life, we're hiding a foreign god. Now, the morning I wrote this message, I was praying through the first chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes, and the Lord began to quietly convict me of something that I'd been placing at the center of my life. He began to point out how I had been desiring greatness. I felt this conviction that the reason I'd been so anxious lately was because I had such a significant desire to be recognized as great by others. I was putting this upon people in my life, upon my wife, upon my kids, upon my colleagues, upon my church. And, and I began to see how I was living under this, this burden to perform, of having to live up to this standard I was setting myself of I must be seen by others as great. It was so tremendous it was causing great anxiety within me. You see, as I began to pray, I began to realize that actually I've been setting myself up as if I was the savior of other people, when in fact only Jesus is the savior. I've been setting myself up as if I was the, the provider for other people when, when Jesus alone can provide for what they need. I've been setting myself up as, a, as if I was a mediator between God and people when Jesus alone is the mediator between man and God. And so I began to confess to the Lord. I began to say, God, I'm sorry. I've been seeking the approval of others in my relationships with them, and I'm sorry. And as I began to pour out what was going on inside of me to the Lord, I began to sense this burden of, of anxiety lifting from me. It was like that foreign God that I'd been hiding, hiding even from myself, to be honest, as it was being removed. And as I was turning to the Lord, he brought peace where I previously had stress. Now, I wonder if I might not be the only one who has been hiding foreign gods in their life. I wonder if I might not be the only one who's been letting other things creep into the center of my life instead of having Jesus there. 
And as we close, I want to return to that list that I went through earlier. I want to give us some time to examine ourselves. See if if any of those things ring true for us. You know, for me, it was relationships and approval. It was the thing I was putting at the center of my life. may well be different for you. And I, I want to take some time as we close in prayer to go through each of those areas that I read out to you earlier, one at a time, and just leave space for the Lord to speak, for us to examine our life, see if we've made any of those good things a God thing. Have we placed any of them at the center of our life at the expense of Jesus? You know, once the people of Israel, they'd removed those foreign gods, the next thing that Joshua led them in doing was renewing their covenant, their relational commitment to the Lord. And so after we've prayed, I want us to do the same. We're going to renew that commitment that we have to the Lord. And we're going to do it by praying a prayer together. We'll stand after we've prayed. And we're going to pray a prayer that comes out of a covenant renewal service that was developed by the 18th century English preacher John Wesley. So first we're going to pray. We're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us. Identify, are we hiding foreign gods? Do we need to remove them? Ask for the Lord to give us the courage to do that. And then once we've done that, we'll stand and we'll renew our commitment to the Lord together. So would you pray with me? Lord, we come to you today. We thank you that you are a master who always forgives us. And we recognize that we have failed in our pursuit of you. We have let other things creep into the center of our lives. And Lord, those things have, have caused us great pain and suffering. And so, Lord, today we, we don't want to hide them any longer. We want to shed the light upon them and we want to bring them out of our lives. Get rid of them. Put you back at the center of our lives. And so, Lord, we take some time now to go through each of those things that were listed earlier. And we ask that you would help us to identify if any of these things have been encroaching upon the place in our life that rightfully belongs to Jesus. So Lord, if we have placed our partner or our spouse or our our lack of a partner or spouse in the center of our lives, would your spirit speak to us right now and show us that? Perhaps we've been placing our family or our children in that position and trying to live our life through them. If so, would you identify that for us? if there are ways in which we have been serving our work or career in a manner in which we should only serve Jesus, would you highlight that for us now?
Lord, if money and possessions have been the thing upon which we're building our life, convict us. Lord, if we've been seeking pleasure or gratification or comfort to fill the void, the God-shaped hole in our life, show us that now. Father, if we've been looking to relationships and approval of others for what we can only find in Christ, would you reveal that to us? Lord, if we are fighting for a a noble cause above the mission of Jesus, would you show that to us now? And finally, Lord, if we have made our morality or religion or self-righteousness the center of our life. Would you break that down within us? We pray. Lord, any of these foreign gods that we have identified, We ask now that you would remove them from our lives. We thank you for the forgiveness of Jesus that is there for us, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or would you take away guilt and shame, remove it. And Lord, we choose this day to place Jesus at the center of our lives. We choose this day to commit or recommit to him as our Lord. We choose to seek him and him alone with our life. So now church, I invite you to stand as we say these words together and renew our commitment. Say this with me. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours 
so be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.